This is Therapy-ish. All of my therapy issues. I am Aisha Creary, founder and owner of Crave Counseling, located in North Austin. I'm excited to be presenting to you all of this therapy ish stuff. I am also happy to be able to have these conversations about all things therapy related and its relationship within the minority communities. Although I'm excited to have these conversations with my guests and my listeners, it is not meant to be a substitute for a relationship with a licensed mental health professional. If you are experiencing a mental health crisis or become triggered during these conversations, I encourage you to reach out to a local therapist or a mental health hospital for immediate assistance. Hi, guys. We are back with another episode of Therapy-ish. Again, this is Aisha Creary, owner and founder of Crave Counseling and founder of Therapy-ish. We have two wonderful guest speakers here today, and we're going to be covering the topic of toxic co-parenting and mental health. So I will start by letting Lena introduce herself this morning. Hi, everyone. Thank you, Asha, for having me. Thank you to all the listeners being here. My name is Lena Suarez Angelino. I'm an online therapist to residents of New Jersey and Florida, providing services in English and Spanish, helping teens and young adults figure out their ish. You can visit my website, lenasuarezangelino.com, same Instagram and Facebook handle. and you can contact me through my website as well as an opportunity to sign up for my newsletter. All right. And Kendall, can you introduce yourself for us today? Yes. Hi, my name is Kendall Turner. I currently work as a school counselor in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. I'm also in grad school right now to be a licensed professional counselor. You can reach me at sistersonthesofa.com as well as my Instagram is sistersonthesofa or your sister's on the sofa. I have two, so. All righty, thank you for sharing that. So we are just going to, well, first let me talk about why I chose this topic. Considering the trauma and the ACEs that we've grown up within our own community and the things that we encounter on a daily basis, a lot of people don't realize that growing up in a single parent home, one, is an issue alone, Two, a lot of people don't realize that their toxicity with their behaviors when it comes to co-parenting is, is not only damaging to the other parent at times, but it can also be very damaging and frightening to the children that are being from home to home. So I just wanted to shed more light on that because I know you guys were listening to Barbershop Talk and Beauty Shop and things like that, that those two episodes in particular, but those are some heavy topics that typically come up when it comes to talks within safe spaces. It's typically someone saying like, oh, my baby mama acting crazy. Oh, my girlfriend, she tripping. I was tripping. She put me out because she caught me cheating. Da, 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 with the babysitter. It's just always something to talk about. And so I just wanted to touch on toxic co-parenting in itself and the traumas that come along with it or the ACEs that students, uh, the kids experience. So my first question for you guys is how prevalent is it for children to live in a single parent home? Did you want to go first, Lena? Sure, thanks. I had found an article by Pew Research Center. It was published in 2018. And it says that U.S. children living with an unmarried parent 
has more than doubled since 1968, jumping from 13% to 32%. The research continues to show that about one in five children are living with a solo or single mom. 47% come from Black communities, 23% from Hispanic communities, 13% come from white communities, and 7% from Asian communities. And I was, I was shocked and heartbroken at those statistics. Yeah, and just to piggyback off of what Lena said, I found, I think I saw, I think it's 18 million or 19 roughly around that amount of children being raised in a single parent household. Myself, I grew up in a single parent household. My mom had eight kids, so I'm the oldest of eight. And then I also have a daughter. She's 15, but I'm raising her in a single parent um, household. And also I work in a school in the community in Dallas. So my demographics of my students match what Lena said as well. More power to you for for being, you know, a single mom raising raising a teenager, especially. And you know, also having a million siblings. I come from an only child household whose parents divorced when I was a sophomore in high school. Um, and even that was was challenging because even just the presence leading up to that divorce wasn't a united front. So even though they didn't leave at that time, you know, you still feel it. So all the more power to you and all the more credit to be here Thank today you. and helping others. Yes, I was about to say the same thing. So I'll, I'll kind of share this. So I did not grow up with a bunch of siblings and I did not grow up necessarily in a single parent household. My stepdad has been married to my mom since I was nine. And you can't tell me nothing about my daddy. And like when people ask me questions about, you know, my real dad, I'm like, no, nah, that's my daddy. Like that's who raised me. He had to talk with me. He taught me how to braid my hair. He, he went to all my school functions. So for me, I had the luxury of having a second parent Although for a time frame, my mom was a single parent, but we did have a bunch of kids in the house, nieces and nephews that did not have either parent, but that's a whole different discussion. They were being raised by their grandmother. So kudos to you. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, I did not like sharing my things. <laughs> when the nieces and nephews came along, I was so mad. <laughs> yeah, I think that's why I'm an introvert now. So. <laughs> okay, so the next question is, what are some of the impacts of not having both parents in a single family home? From just experience as well as, so working with kids and my personal experience or even my daughter and other women or guys that I know, the impact of that could be low self-esteem, getting involved with like criminal activity, school failure. So some students drop out or just kind of struggle in school all, all around with behaviors as well as grades. So those are some of the things that I've witnessed from single parent household students. All of those factors that you mentioned are, are so relevant. And, and what I also see here in New Jersey when working with kids and, and teens, along with feeling a lot of guilt and resentment for the child themselves. There's a lot of internal conflict that I think is experienced, especially when spending time with the other parent. And, you know, if it's a 50-50 split or if it's, you know, more uneven, a lot of the children and teens that I work with, they feel guilty even for feeling excited 
to go to their non-residential parents' house. Uh, I know that that was some of the experiences that I would get, you know, oh, why, why are you not, you know, having problems with your dad? It's like, uh, because I'm only with them two hours, you know? <laughs> um, right. So I feel like they feel scared or nervous to go because they don't trust or they hear negative things about their non-residential parent. I also feel like as the parent in charge, you know, and Kendall, you may be able to speak more about this and Asha too. You know, you're, you're exhausted and you're burnt out. So you're not having, as the parent, you're not having the support to talk about your stressors in a safe and confidential setting. And, you know, that might mean that you have, you need to find somebody to talk to, right? To create that safe space. Yes. And I'll also add that I do see a lot of kids, you're right, internalize grief, but they've also shared that some of their grief comes from feeling like they are the reason that their parents are separating. Like, oh, my parent didn't have enough money or my mom was complaining about money and my dad wasn't helping take care of us. So she put him out and we're the reason why she had to put him out or daddy didn't help with, with us around the house and mom got sick of it or vice versa. But there are times where we as individuals, and I'm not saying that I'm a person that does this, but there are some times where we're battling our own demons that lead into having to exit a relationship or us deciding I'm sick of these kids and I'm just literally going to leave them on the porch and you going to take care of them. And that, that right there alone adds an additional layer of guilt when the kids are like, shoot, my mama just dropped us off and she ain't never come back and vice versa. Like my daddy told me he was going to pick me up 30 minutes later. Oh, I'm on my way. An hour later, never showed up. And so like, you know, you're starting to add to those those internal issues of guilt and like self-worth and, you know, not feeling worthy of being loved as you continue to grow into adulthood. So, yeah, it, it can get a whole lot deeper than what a lot of parents even realize whenever they, they are deciding to step away from a relationship and be even even not being toxic just stepping away from the relationship and seeing what that feels like and then stepping away from a relationship or having to leave or be ejected from a relationship and it's a toxic environment what do you think it would take to rebuild single parent homes and help increase slash retain the number of two parent homes in general i'll start because I feel like this is something I'm really passionate about. I believe that a lot of people just aren't good at doing relationships, right? Like they don't know how to maintain or even find like a healthy partner. So I feel like I've made it my mission just to try to teach people how to date, what to look for as far as compatibility. Yeah, just equipping people with the right tools in regards to communication, fighting in healthy ways so that we can maintain and have healthy relationships and healthy marriages. I think, you know, one of the biggest steps is for the couples to go to therapy, both individually for themselves and as a couple, as a unit, because there's been a lot of arguments, there's been a lot of disagreements and we have to work through those. We have to, you know, bring them all to the surface in order to heal. I'd forgotten forgotten earlier to mention that I'm a licensed clinical social worker, LCSW. And a lot of the times, by the time the couple agrees to counseling, it's already at the point where one of one of the couples have 
have already thrown in the towel. And, you know, we don't want to wait until we get to that point because it takes a lot more. There's a lot more emotional baggage, a lot of past traumas that we have to do triple the work if we wait until that point. So I encourage that um, in addition to everything that Kendall was sharing as well. So I would like to add that I think that both of your responses were amazing. And I think that Kendall, you kind of touched on the pre stuff and she touched on the after stuff. I want to kind of touch on the in-between. So in order to, you know, kind of retain the number of two parent homes, even when marriages and relationships are going through turmoil, a lot of times it is a pride thing. Nobody wants to come back and apologize. Nobody wants to come back and say, hey, I messed up. So that's one piece. The other part is after we've gotten through the initial dating phase, which may not have even truly been a true dating phase. It might have gone from, I like you, you like me, we're in a situationship, now we got this child. And so I think that it's important to, one, not settle and truly go through the dating process and know what it is that you want and be intentional. Because what happens is you start having kids and y'all never had a conversation about parent roles. How do you feel about disciplining the kids? What about daycare? Who's going to help me with the pregnancy bills? Like if I get pregnant, are you going to help me with the co-pays? Nobody talks about how long am I going to be off work? Am I going to be working through my entire pregnancy in a high stress environment at McDonald's? If that's the, if that's the type of lifestyle that I currently have, and I'm just trying to get through life. And it's like, Y'all not having these conversations before. So whenever these child, this child comes into the, the relationship, it almost goes from, oh, we love each other to now it's an issue after issue after issue. And nobody wants to really say that that's the issue because you want to be kind to your partner's heart. But in actuality, it's important to have those difficult conversations earlier. That way, when things do happen, you guys know what healthy conflict looks like and you're okay with listening to your partner's heart and respecting their truth and accepting them for how they feel. And both of you guys have to be open to change. Um, you know, they say women develop their brains before men do and that we're a lot more mature. I think that anybody can be mature. I think that sometimes those stigmas allow certain sexes to accept certain things because of the stigmas around um, genders. And I think that we just need to have difficult conversations, deeper conversations early on. And when it comes up again, hey, remember we talked about that early on, what changed for you? It's almost like a living will of relationships. Yeah. That, and, and it's so important and it really helps clear the air before the air even gets clouded. Right. So thank y'all for sharing that. So the next question would be, what are some factors aiding in kids who do not have either family, meaning they don't have their mother or they don't have their father on either side? So in undergrad, I worked at a residential treatment center with students who were in the foster system, but they had to come to the treatment center to um, get stabilized before moving into a, a facility or group home. And so I noticed with those students, 
we kind of touched on like low self-esteem or bad grades, but their their behaviors were more extreme. So they did have mental or struggle with mental disorders. Um, their acting out look different than a kid, you know, maybe laying their head down or whatever. They were aggressive. Um, they had attachment issues, anxiety. So they just experienced a whole level of trauma as far as sexual abuse, physical abuse, and you you were able to see that in their behaviors. And I, I answered this question, I, I think about it differently in the aspect, I guess the, the aftermath factor, uh, aftermath um, factors, you know, the, the increase of of potential drug use and alcohol. Actually, this is the contributing factors for the parents, right? Maybe it's immigration reasons. Maybe it's financial stressors. You know, maybe there was abuse in the home. Drugs and alcohol were involved. And so some of these factors are voluntary in the aspect of like they they could have been stopped, you know, and intervened well in advance. But, you know, I think DCPMP or, or uh, formerly the Department of Children and Family services they offer a lot of support and try and create a positive future we might not like them right they have a bad stigma but they they're really out there for the the well-being of the child or the children in the home so i think those factors contribute to not having to having a child be raised without both both parents yeah i i 100% agree with that and then there are some other extenuating circumstances like you said with the family services agencies, they are there to help you basically rebuild a healthy relationship in the household. And they offer like parenting classes. They offer classes around co-parenting. They offer classes on the parents' mental health. And it's just like, I can understand why the stigma exists. But at the same time, like I work in a school system as well and or was working in a school system and I would basically say hey like we're having classes or we're having like activities with parents and their kids and we'd have like a pretty decent turnout but then there was still this huge lack of parent involvement because of the equity and inequalities that are going on in the workplace like we you know people are working late. We have people who can't afford to take off. We have jobs that are basically harassing employees for even taking time off to go to their child's recital. And so it's like, those are some other factors that are like preventing families from growing closer and allowing them to to have both sides of their family. And then I also want to add that when it comes to not having either side, sometimes Whenever you, you know, you split up the family, of course, the finances become a really big thing because we went from splitting bills, if that's how the household was set up, or even if one person was a sole provider, if you split that up and one person now has to go out and reset and rebuild their life and try to establish some type of financial um, setting, then at that point, they're like, I'm always at work. I can't come pick them up. I don't have five minutes. I don't have this. When in actuality, yes, you do. You can get up 30 minutes earlier. Take your child to breakfast, drop them off at school and get to work, depending on what time you go to work. Or if you get off early enough, pick them up and say, hey, I'm just going to take them home every day. We're going to have our evening car ride, ice cream. Hey, 
it's not a lot that I can offer, but it's something that I can extend. If both parents are open to it, again, sometimes that toxic co-parenting comes into play and kind of prevents those things from even being a thing. So I'm going to add, oh, well, I guess we kind of answered this question earlier where um, I at, well, I think both of you did ask, answer this question earlier. What is the likelihood of those kids to experience trauma, abuse, or mental illness? I think the one thing that we probably didn't touch on was the abuse piece. We did talk about trauma and mental illness. With the abuse piece, it, it kind of comes into, we want to make sure that, that the kids are safe at all times, right? If they're constantly witnessing even just fighting among partners or witnessing aggressive behavior, slamming doors, throwing things, you know, the children are going to react one of two ways. They're going to internalize these behaviors as I, I kind of spoke about, spoke about before and begin blaming themselves. Oh, daddy's mad because, you know, I didn't, you know, clean my room or mommy's mad because I, I didn't clear, clear the dinner table. Right. Or I didn't finish dinner, but they're always going to think that this is how com- couples communicate and either way is not healthy. Right. So they're, they're going to go into relationships expecting, expecting that's okay to be treated that way, or that's how they treat others. Yeah, I agree. And uh, to touch back on what you said, Aisha, about just like a parent feeling like they don't have time or always in this like rush mode, usually you have a short temper. And I know I just talked to somebody recently with being African-American, a black mom, a lot of times people feel like it is okay to yell at your kid or so when I address my daughter a certain way or even the kids at my campus I feel like it's a lot of judgment on the way that I speak to kids because they they believe that I'm soft but I'm like kids just want to be heard they want to feel respected and if for me like if I know I'm having a rough day I'll let my daughter know like hey I work was crazy give me 30 minutes to cool off because I don't want to take out anything that I experienced today out on you. And so a lot of times when you are stressed out as a single parent, you may, you know, project all of your, your anger onto that child, which is a form, it's a form of abuse. So. Yes, I 100% agree with that. But to add to that, to support with that, or like to, to, minimize and prevent that from happening what I would say is it's okay to send your kids to daycare right now I know we're in quarantine so hey live how you live but don't feel guilty for dropping your kids off at daycare if you don't how else are you going to practice self-care when you're not dealing with the work stressors or how else are you going to practice self-care when you just want to be with your friends and you just want to travel and you want to spend drop them kids off at daycare That's what we're here for. (laughs) All right. So the next question is, let's talk about the drama and trauma around parents who want to be there for their kids, but the other party is not in agreement or not allowing it. I really think that this does more harm than good for children. You know, when both parties can't put aside their differences and put aside their own pain and hurt, you can see how much it impacts children. And it's heartbreaking. I work with a lot of children that experience this. And depending on the age, you can see strong attachments for the residential parent. 
and complete resistance to even wanting a relationship with the other parent. As children get older, they might become a little bit more curious or they might feel a little bit more open to developing that relationship with their non-residential parent. But, you know, that was kind of my experience growing up. It was like, oh, hey, wait a minute. You know, maybe I can see things from my dad's side now, you know, as I got a little bit older. And, you know, now that they're both grandparents to my son, it's, you know, that much more important to me that they settle their differences aside for the sake of him. Yeah, I know for me, like, I know a few guys who kind of struggle with this one. My first response is normally like, oh, you know, get legal documents so that you have your visitation rights so that that woman or man, but for the people that I know, it's, it's usually the mom that's keeping the kids away and that they don't have that power. But I do know somebody personally who still struggles because his kids are teenagers, they they still side with mom with even though they have visitation set in order, they still side with their mom and don't come and see their dad at all. And so in his situation, I just tell him like I encourage him to do some type of counseling with his children to kind of bridge that gap of whatever is going on at home so that like they have a meteor mediator to talk to them and kind of let everything out and clear, you know, clear the air as far as maybe what mom is saying at home. But I know it's hard and I know the dads really like it, it affects them emotionally as well. Yeah, I definitely 100% agree with everything you're saying. And, you know, it's so toxic. Like y'all said earlier, it's very toxic and, the kids are seeing it and the kids are internalizing and they're accepting because either daddy spends more money on me. So we like to go to daddy house more and mama is is broke. She don't care about us. She don't do this because she doesn't buy us things or the shoe could be on the other foot when in actuality, baby, I don't have nothing to offer you but time. And as kids continue to get older, they will start to realize that those material things did not matter. And they'll start to start seeing their parents for who they were and who they are and who really played a bigger role. And then at that point, that resentment is going to start being formed with those kids as they continue to grow. Um, I've seen it in the school system. I've seen it with my friends where they're like, yeah, my mama didn't never let me go to my daddy house. And I don't really have a relationship with him, but I really want one. And now that I don't really know him, how, how it's very uncomfortable for me to even have a conversation with him. So it's like, where do I even start? So I, I 100% agree with y'all. And I think that people should just, like I said, be open. Like, mm-hmm. But I want to add to what you said earlier, Kendall, about like the, the paperwork. So people always think that <laughs> since they have paperwork on file, they can just call the police. The police is going to tell you that that is a civil matter. We can't do nothing about it. Go back to court on your own. So what happens is those situations typically turn into very, very dangerous situations where one parent is like, she not let me see my kids. I know where she live at. I'm here. I'm supposed to be doing this, this, that, and the other. And that parent is like, they not seeing my kids. And they don't do that right. for them. Okay, who cares if they don't financially provide? You knew that when you had that baby. But that's a whole nother conversation. 
how about you allow this man to see his child? Allow this man to see his child. Like you knew what it was when you got pregnant and vice versa. Men, you knew she wasn't mother material when you got her pregnant. And now you're mad because she's being toxic because y'all are not together anymore. Or it's the other way around. So I always tell people like, before you have children with someone, be friends first. Make sure that y'all like each other even when y'all don't like each other and make sure that y'all are being kind to each other even when y'all don't feel like being kind. Because when you throw kids into it, it goes from one extreme to the other. And you start using your kids as shields in the, the, in the relationship. And you don't want that to right. happen. So I always tell people, know what you're doing before you do it. <laughs> we don't need no pimp downs over here. Know what you're doing when you do it. Have those, they'll have those conversations about like, if we don't work out, what would parenting look like? Of course, you don't go into things like that. But you also have to accept that if that woman never wanted a child, what makes you think that she not going to drop them off on the porch and tell you she ain't picking them up? And vice versa. If that man never wanted a child, what makes you think that that man is going to do what you want them to do? Doesn't work like that. And even for like the same sex parents, they have all those difficult conversations because even they, to even adopt or, you know, have kids, they make them go through like a certain they make any parenting couple go through situations, but if it's the same sex parent and they're trying to adopt, they typically have those difficult <laughs> conversations. But I always tell people, have a dog first. I don't really do pets, but have a, have a dog first. And if y'all have like a separation in between what y'all got going on and like she's holding a dog against you or you're holding a dog against her, it's a good thing y'all didn't have kids. Because, I mean, don't get me wrong. Dogs are a family for a lot of people. So I don't want to minimize that. Right. But what I am saying is... No, I agree. You don't have to deal with this person for 18 years plus. So the next question is, do you think that the system has impacted a family's ability to co-parent in a positive way? This que- <laughs> This is a tough question. I think for Black men, Black women... A lot of times the stigma around just having somebody else in our business is a problem anyway. And so usually if you decide to take someone to court or honestly put them on child support, it it impacts that relationship for most co-parents in a negative way. Because they feel like, why did we have to get someone else involved in the first place? I, I don't think it has to be negative. Um, But honestly, I feel like if a relationship didn't work in the first place, that co-parenting is going to be hard initially. So having some some type of person to mediate that situation can be positive. I I think it depends on the two people and what that looks like for them. I know with my personal relationship, we just came up with our own agreement So there isn't a mediator, but I think that's just from my knowledge and being able to communicate that that worked well for us. And Asha, you had mentioned it earlier, the, with the children's system of care or the departments, they offer parenting support groups. They offer those mediation services. So I think that that has really helped 
to increase that positivity. But of course, there always there is still that stigma, right? Even in the Hispanic community, a lot of times, you know, no, this is a family matter, right? We don't we don't go to the outside to ask for help because we feel judged. We don't feel safe. And I'm a partner of someone who does co-parent. And, you know, fortunately for us, it has been a very smooth transition and a positive experience, even in their separation. Um, I became a bonus mom to a 13-year-old who, you know, then very quickly became a, a big sister uh, to her her baby brother. And, you know, it, it's been really, really such a nice experience and I'm fortunate for that. And I wish other families could have that. And sometimes we need that mediator, right? To, in order to create that space that allows for that effective communication, right? Kendall, I think if you, you know, you had said, I wouldn't have been able to not need a mediator, you know, or, you know, you didn't need one because of your effective communication, but a lot of, a lot of couples lack that. And that's why those problems arise in the first place. That's very true. Very true. So the next question is, what is the best way for a married couple to go about having conversations with their kids when they have decided to split up? I think if the couple's already in counseling, right? This is, I feel like I'm a huge promo for for counseling, but (laughs) that's the mindset, right? That's, That's the field I'm in. So if the couple's already in counseling, I would encourage asking their therapist for obviously for their recommendations because they know the couple best, but allowing a session where the child is also brought into the, in to a session to be able to process their thoughts and feelings about the separation, you know, having both parents present to telling them of their decision, right? No pre-notice, right? You know, having both, both people involved as well as being prepared for a wide range of emotions that the child is going to show, right? It can be anger. It can be, you know, sadness and just being prepared for that. Yeah, I agree, Lena. I also said, um, or wanted to encourage parents to utilize school resources as well. I'm like letting the teacher know, because usually they're very helpful in situations like this, as well as, school counselors, and school psychologists. So they can provide services. Usually, I know at my school, is for free. So that's, that's helpful in addition to what you said, Lena. And keep, keep, keep reminding them, right, reminding your children that it's not their fault for the reason that they're splitting. Absolutely. And it's an ongoing conversation. So doing check-ins throughout the split, just, just checking in, offering them that voice to be able to voice their different emotions that they are experiencing. I agree. I agree. All righty. So the next question, which is the last question, how can counseling help support the stress around being a single parent home parent or family, meaning the kids, the family as a whole unit, the parent as a single individual and the co-parent, which is the other parent, how can counseling truly help aid in preventing toxicity and aid in like going from toxic to healthy? So I had my daughter at 20 in college and I split from her dad at 25. So right when I was graduating um, and there was 
a service like for transitional housing for single parents. So I took advantage of those services. And through that, I was able to get counseling for myself for a year, as well as my daughter, she got played therapy. And so I believe that that was very beneficial, especially for her. I didn't see a huge range in emotions um, within those first two years of her being in play therapy, as well as it helped with the stress of me, you know, transitioning from two parent, raising my daughter with somebody to now essentially doing mostly everything on my own. They also had the parenting classes that y'all discussed earlier. So that was helpful with just parenting or financial issues. I, I feel like I learned a lot within that first year to help prepare me as a single mother, including boundaries, which are super important in, in having a successful co-parenting relationship. I know we would meet else like at a, like a safe place. So not his house, not my house to drop her off just keeping conversations short and, and to the point so there's no room for arguments. All of those skills I was able to learn during counseling as well. I'd like to add to that boundary section. I, I'm just going to say this. Keep your hands out of the cookie jar. If you are truly going to walk away from your relationship or if both of you guys have decided because that, oh, we spent Christmas together turns into I'm confused as to why I feel the way I feel. Now I'm mad because he has a girlfriend or now I'm mad because she got another dude around my child and we was just together for Christmas. Keep your hands out of the cookie jar. There is no point in you guys creating an intimate space when there is no longer an intimate space necessary for y'all. A hug is cool if it's just like one of those side church hugs. But if you doing one of those, man, I go my, I go my baby, my man, her booty look big. Let me go give her a hug. If you doing one of those, <laughs> you're going to find yourself in a toxic co-parenting situationship. And you don't want to be in one of those. Every time. So I agree. <laughs> That's definitely a whole nother episode for you, Asha, is boundaries, right? <laughs> yeah, I, you know, you guys said it best. It, it's creating that safe, that confidential space to help you with those daily stressors. And I love that you took advantage of, of those, the transitional housing. And again, it, I think it really helped to build you up, you know, in your self-esteem and, and in your ability, right? In your, to empower you to show you that, yes, you are capable and you are able to do that on your own. And that's really what I try and do in counseling is, is to help with these stressors and help show, show and teach those skills. You know, it allows you as a place to vent while, you know, without going to your friends or, or family members, which could have the likelihood of getting back to the other partner, right? And allowing just that space because we don't want to bottle it in just as much as we don't want our children bottling in their emotions. I agree. That's very true. I do. I would say that counseling also helps us process things and help us to build up the courage to have difficult conversations. So if I am a mother and my ex is always dropping the ball on me, such as like, oh, I'm going to pick them up from football practice. And then they call you 
20 minutes into your pedicure, letting you know, oh, the game is over. You need to pick up JJ from football practice. And they do that so many times and you become frustrated with it. And you're just like, you know, that's just who that person is. I don't know what to do with that. Have a conversation with him. He might not even realize how much it is impacting your world. But at the same time, he may know. But once you had a conversation, you had it. And then you have the ability to be upset about it. But I always say never place expectations on other people because you are going to find yourself very upset. Expectations will have you in a hurt place for a long time. So don't even expect anything from the other parent because if you do, things will be hard for you because you start to hold on to those expectations of this person and they never told you that they can be that person that you you told them that they are. Yeah, I agree. Um, I And I agree with the conversation piece, having that conversation. I think a lot of times, especially again, if the couple <laughs> split it in the first place, communication was an issue. But I know if I'm direct with whatever I'm feeling, sometimes I just let them know. I need help. I need more help. And this is what help looks like. I feel like he rises to the occasion in that manner versus me just being frustrated, like, okay, whatever, you know, like dismissing um, my feelings and, and not clearly telling him my expectations. So. And it's going to sound, sound bad, but sometimes not always coming to the rescue, right? Like you're getting a pedicure done, like figure it out. You know, yes, I'm not encouraging leaving your kid hanging or, or on their own, but stop always having their back, right? No, you committed to this. You committed to this, this assistance, this help, you know, and, and so stop always coming to the rescue. I 100% agree with that. If you know me, you know, my motto is leave people where they at. So if you stuck, you stuck dog. I can't, I can't do nothing for you. I love my child. Now, I might go wait around the corner just to see if you're really not going to come. <laughs> but I'm going to leave you. I'm going to leave you thinking that you, and in, in, in actuality, you do need to figure it out because if I'm the sole parent majority of the time and this is the only thing that you're committed to do, again, emergencies happen. But if I'm the sole parent and you still want me to drop everything when it's your turn to have your child just for two days, now you got to figure it out because I figure it out 24 seven every week and you only have them one weekend out of the month. So I can't help you. You got a mama. I'm, I ain't going to just assume that they got a mama, but I would agree that somebody, you got somebody to help you. I don't care if it's one of these little girls you talking to. I don't care if somebody better go pick my baby up. Cause I'm not doing it with this. Was, this is the agreement we had. You need to figure it out. Facts, I agree. And women listen too, right? It's not just men, but <laughs> women listen up too. Right, right. I, I only say that because I'm I'm heterosexual. So for me, it would be a man. So I'm just like, dog, you on your own. But, you know, that's not to say that you're right. Women do it too. Oh, I got to go get my hair done and I got to do this. I'm running behind on time. Girl, you better find one of your homegirls to go pick him up. You got friends, them same friends that told you to leave me. You got friends. 
You got friends? I'm I'm one of them people. I be I try not to be petty, but I can be. So I'm one of them people. You are literally on your own. But again, I am not a parent. So I'm just going to put that disclaimer out there. I am not a parent. So I don't know what that feels like. But as an auntie mom, as an educator who has mentees that I literally have been the person where parents have have given me their child for the weekend and something came up and I'm like, no, I got these kids. I got these kids. They with me. They got to eat. I got to make sure they ain't bringing no boys to the house. I got to, you know, that's the responsibility that I chose to take even as a mentor and as a, as a friend to my, some of the parents, this is the decision that I made. Of course, these are not kids that I've worked with like at the time, but as time went on, these are parents that reached back out to me, found me. And, um, after the kids got older, they became mentees to me. So, I'm just gonna put that out there. I don't want nobody thinking I'm out here babysitting <laughs> the kids at the district because <laughs> that is not what's going on. <laughs> but I say that to say is that like even me as an individual, I've been a cheer coach, I've been a, a cross country coach, I've literally academic decathlon um, sponsor, all types of things. And I, when them kids was at that school with me after hours, and something came up them was my kids. Those were my babies. And I made it work. They mama couldn't come pick them up. I figured it out. Hey, we're going to call, we're going to call dispatch to come pick you up. They're going to drop you off at the house because I can't put you in my car, but I want to make sure you get home. I'll follow dispatch to make sure nothing happens to you in the cop vehicle. Not that I think that is, that it is, but I'm behind you, but I just can't have you in my car for liability purposes. Love you dearly, but baby, we got to get you home. I figured it out. All right. So don't come for me, parents that think she ain't got no kids. And she, yeah, I, I don't. But I do got thousands of kids out there that will tell you they still they steal my babies. So yeah, y'all got any additional comments or things to add? I think just getting comfortable with the uncomfortable and and you know, really working on that communication, working on yourselves. It's okay to split it. What's not okay is that toxic co-parenting. So I thank everyone for having me on the show and listening in. It's been a pleasure. Yes, I agree. Like I said, just utilizing the resources and I guess on our end as counselors and health, mental health professionals, providing and putting out resources to help people with co-parenting situations or even, like I said, just learning how to maintain healthy relationships so they don't have to split. My additional comment is ask for help. Don't be embarrassed. Like, trust me. I've had parents call me and be like, look, I got this crying baby at home. I can't make it to the school. Can you come to the house and help me? I'm on my way. No questions asked. No questions asked. Like, granted, some things are above and beyond protocol, but considering the field that we are in, it's different for us. Now, I'm not saying in private practice, my clinicians and me and myself will be going out to do things like that. But in the school system, we get paid to do that. We get paid to make sure that that child can show up to the school their whole self. So if you're struggling as a parent, look, I'm going to come help you today. We're going to find you some daycare. There's a high school that has a daycare center. We're going to get your baby enrolled, your little baby, so that you can so that you can get time to yourself. 
hey, let's figure out hospice and respite care. If you got a disabled child at home and you're struggling with that and the other parent is not helping and it's becoming real toxic, let's get you some help because there's a lot of resources out there that a lot of parents don't know that they have access to. So ask for help. Trust me, the school's got an answer. If you got a question, we got a resource. If you got a need, we gonna help you get it. On the other end of things, keep your hands out the cookie jar. That's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> Love it. So if you guys wanna go ahead and share your social media handles uh, again for us and we'll just wrap this joint up. Sure, you can find me at Lena Suarez Angelino and I'll spell that out for you guys because it's a mouthful. L-E-N-A, S is in Sam, U-A-R-E-Z, A-N-G-E-L-I-N-O. And yes, that is my, my maiden name. <laughs> if I get married to my partner, we condense to a Smith. So <laughs> I'm looking forward to that if that day happens. Um, but yeah, so you can find me. That's my website. That's my Instagram, Facebook, any, any and a, all of the handles are all the same. So thank you again so much for, for listening in and having me be a part of this show. I really appreciate it. And you can find me at Sisters on the Sofa and it's S-I-S-T-A-S-O-N-T-H-E-S-O-F-A.com. And then my Instagram handle is Your Sister on the Sofa, which is my personal page. And then I have a blog called Sisters on the Sofa. And that they're both on Instagram. And my full name is Kendall R. Turner. So you can find me on Facebook as well under that name. And again, thank you, Aisha, for allowing me to be on this podcast. And I really enjoyed talking to both of you ladies. All right, we're going to wrap it up. Thank you guys again for listening in. I hope you guys took some gems from the conversation. I hope you guys enjoyed the conversation, had some laughs, took some information that you could utilize during in your relationship, if you're going through any, any of these things, or if you went through a tr- triggering moment, it's okay to seek help. A lot of LPCs and LMFTs and um, other clinicians that practice in the mental health field, a lot of us came from the education system. So nine times out of 10, we can help you on both ends of the spectrum. So I appreciate the parents out there that's doing it by yourself. Kudos to you, because I still tell people, I don't even know if I could have been a mother yesterday if I had dropped the baby out I just can't do it give me a few more years and I'll be ready I'm still being selfish drop them babies off at daycare and take care of yourself take care of yourself and don't feel guilty for doing it thank you again to all of my therapy issues from Asia M. Creary you can find us on social media at twitter at therapy ish pod you can find us on facebook and instagram at Therapy-ish Podcast. Please feel free to like, share, and subscribe.